And we are back with another edition of the Daily Dots. And I am joined once again by the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor. And Chase, I have been, uh, <clears throat> is I'm, this will shock many of our listeners, but uh, I did not spend every waking hour today linked into markets. I have been had, I've had the distinct pleasure of working on regulatory issues with the regulatory bodies of this, which is a blast, by the way. <laughs> it's the thing about this job that I, <clears throat> that I love the most. But so I'm not even really sure where our index is finished. Why don't you give us kind of the market update as far as where where we finished on the indexes and then as well as was there any significant news, earnings, anything that came out today? Sure. So S&P down 0.1, the Qs down 0.39, but then another 0.23 in after hours, so a little over half a percent on the NASDAQ 100. Uh, the Dow was up a little and the the Russell was up a lot, 1.8%. So we We've actually seen what I would call a breakout in small caps, which is interesting since all of a sudden the Qs are fading. Um, Isn't that just SMSCI, though, driving ID? It's a lot of it, yeah. yeah. Max Evan, between um, the market, like during during the market hours and after hours, is actually down 1%. Um, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, like re- really even Meta, when you include after hours, like and Google, like literally all of them down on the day. So the whole Max 7 down. No, nothing I saw. Just and, and actually, we started off pretty strong on the NASDAQ and then faded through the day, which was a bit surprising. Chase, would we be reading in too much to it? Because I, again, I think it's probably too early. So by definition, I guess you probably would be reading too much into it if you if you extrapolate it out. But is could this just be sort of that catch-up dynamic we're seeing? Like I think it's interesting that IWM is rallying like a scalded cat. Uh to use a expression, technical Luke Groman's. I got to give him it's true. Yeah, that was his one, and I've I've kind of appropriated that. It's it's a linguistic appropriation. I'm sure that's wrong on some level uh, in the world of DEI, right? Um, Hopefully, he's not indigenous. But this is one of the things that we've been talking to our clients about, and obviously, nobody knows this for sure. But it felt like to me a situation where if you have no recession this year. It, it it made a lot of sense to me that everybody's going to be piling into the names at the top of the index, but I would actually, now I still don't think that those things aren't going to suck a lot of oxygen out of the room, but if you're going to keep advancing, you just got to get participation from the other parts of the market. I mean, do you think that's kind of what's happening right now? I mean, it's definitely too early to say. And that's what it would look like yeah. though, if this were to continue. Right. I mean, if the economy is as good as it, is it, is advertising itself as having been for the last, especially six months, um, and the Fed's going to look into cutting rates. You would expect things like the Russell, who have you know a third of their companies tied to floating rate debt, to like kind of be able to unhook the trailer here and, and get going. At least, at least have a, a decent run. So from that standpoint, yeah, it does make sense. Um, but to your prior point, having one massive like. AI meme stock essentially in the IWM has has really contributed a lot lately. Um, I think I think SMCI has become a, a phenomenon, and really in the last like week or two, especially where it went from like no one really seemed How to know about it, it to everybody. Today? I didn't even look, but I'll look right now. Yeah, I don't. I just that's another. I don't really like talk about it. That it, fa- it faded a good bit. Um, during the day, but closed, but closed green a little bit. I'm not sure. Um, 
everything else though, like yields, the dollar, oil, like pretty much everything else was was pretty flat. It was kind of boring from outside of equities themselves. Um, one thing of note to me today was just kind of looking at our portfolio. The things that just just kind of stood out was especially seeing all that that weakness in tech. But biotech had a, a very strong day, um, up over two percent on the day, which again to, to me just kind of stood out given everything else. And then just kind of looking at the internals in just one day literally does not matter. But it was a very risk off day from a, a like utilities led staples beat. Um, discretionary, a lot of stuff that you w- wouldn't necessarily expect to see on a day where, where, especially where yields were flat. Tech was the the laggard in the index today, so it doesn't mean anything when it's only one day. But it, it, that was at least interesting. Um, as far as earnings, n- n- honestly, nothing big today. There's there's plenty of plenty of bigger names coming up the rest of the week, but today, really nothing on data or or on the earnings side. Tomorrow we'll have um, CPI. So that'll be a big one on the data side as well as a small business survey. Okay. So, uh, you know, and I really don't know what to make of it. I don't know that anybody does. Truthfully, it's probably one of those only things, you know, maybe it'll make sense. Maybe it won't even in hindsight. Uh, is it just me, but it does seem like, um, it almost feels like on a day-to-day basis, you're just seeing more kind of stuff that just feels anomalous. And I don't really know what to, you know, moves that aren't even small moves that you just kind of can't really, you know what I mean? That, that don't really chalk up to like, you know, you tell me I WM is up that much. I mean, obviously you've got the SMCI influence, but then you look at rates, you'd be expecting to see them down and you're like, what? Yeah. But IWM just does this. It has days where it's up one, two percent or it's up like 2% or down 2% when nothing else. Just like, a factor is, day, maybe. I, yeah. It just flows. Yeah. I, I, that's what I always assume is just some weird factor stuff because we get these honestly at this point, like once a week where the, the Russell just goes nuts in one direction or the other. And you're just like, Oh wow. Yeah. On nothing. Right. Like, so tomorrow, like I wouldn't be, the least bit surprised if we have a day this week where the, where the Russell's down 2%, like, which, Hey, at least it has some volatility and like everything else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, what else we have? No, do we have anything interesting come out? Yeah. Yeah. Go. So n- not, not like coming down the coming towards us, but something that I, I read this morning that is super interesting that I want to pass along. Uh, and this was from the tier one alpha guys. And that was, We've talked a lot about how the the size of Mag Seven, in this case, call it top ten, um, and you know, you and I have talked about, hey, like at least they do have earnings growth to kind of support some of this, cause, and yeah. that's true. But if you go back to 2010, the top ten stocks were 20 percent of earnings and 19 percent of the S and P, and now the top ten stocks are still the same 20 percent of earnings. But instead of being 19% of the S&P, they're a third of the S&P. Well, look, and I think that clearly illustrates one of the points that we've been making for a long time, which is I think that there are enough signs to where if you're not if you're not acknowledging that this market is not trading according to fundamentals, I, I just – I don't know what to – I don't know what to tell you. Uh, the other thing I think it tells you is another thing that we've been pointing to and discussing for quite a while, which is you're reaching a point where – the valuation gap itself doesn't make sense. Meaning, right? Like, if if you if if the sh- if the share of earnings is growing as a part of the body, but the representation of market cap triples, like you just you can't have much of a sign. And I'm not telling you those things are about to implode, right? 
What, what it's not all pure earnings. Like. No, and it would also suggest that it that your growth is probably the biggest and best growth as far as the investments are considered are overwhelmingly more likely to come from other parts of the index. Just typically, but but we'll see. And then that's that's and I think that's where part of this comes in is. And this is the risk. This this this. So getting to what you're getting to, which I agree with, the risk of this I think is becoming more palpable every single day. Well, the reality of it is moving that direction at this point. And I, I think that you have to incorporate into your investment possibility the fact that that doesn't reverse anytime soon. Right. And and to this point, like the, all the broadening out we're getting is is to, you know, the other semiconductor companies and the people that essentially feed Mag7, the, their suppliers and, and their the people that make what they do possible is really, is really where you think about all the CapEx from these guys. Well, a lot of the people that are going to make the money on the CapEx are the ones, you know, putting components in the data centers. So. Well, here's the other part of it too, right? If the market doesn't even blink or balk at the fact that Apple gets a 60% rip on its shares during four quarters of declining earnings, revenues, and, and margins, right. while interest rates are going up. You can't say it's the earnings. <laughs> well, as soon as they show year-over-year year growth again, how is that not a market that could justify micro Apple trading at 50 times earnings? Right. Right. I mean, if you if you blow out the multiple to the upside by fifty percent in their worst four quarter run in history, once they resume growing again, which I'm assuming yeah, they're, which they're starting to do now, yeah, and now the stock's bit. struggling. <laughs> yeah, I just. But what I'm saying is, in an environment like this, I don't think it's hard at all to envision listening to the Jim Cramers of the world trying to justify why companies that are growing at less than five percent revenues are trading at fifty times earnings. And if you don't think that can happen, you know, I. I you should think it could happen because we see it constantly occurring, right? Which is why the things that are driving, and this is one of the things we pointed to, when fundamentals are not driving stock price, to assume that that is an imminent stock collapse, I think is a mistake. 100%. There's, that's, if that's not obvious to someone out there, you you really should take a harder look. Yeah. And, and furthermore, it's what all bubbles have in common. Meaning that's the definition. It's when things become discounted. And what do, what's the other thing the bubbles have in common? They always go way further and get way crazier than anybody can anticipate. Yeah. Now, I would submit it's they're already pretty crazy. But looking at the context of deficits and all the other kind of stuff, I just see plenty of fodder for it getting much crazier. Right. And there's I'm still not saying it will. There's but, still tons of people out there very skeptical and very uh, and like really pushing back on this stuff. And I think. I think when you know it's a bubble is when almost all that's gone. Like I, I remember at one point when Bitcoin was at its peak where there was no one willing to go out and really say anything again against it. That's how you kind of know like, oof, there's like, there's just nothing left here out on, on the downside. Right. Um, and, and right now there's plenty of pushback on this mag seven, et cetera. So I think the, that doesn't mean we don't just start falling from here and it's over. But I, I think there's clearly a lot of room for, for it to, you know, for these names to go from trading at very expensive multiples to ludicrously expensive multiples. Yeah, I don't, I don't see. I think it's also, at least from where it looks like right now, I think it's also really hard to deny that. You know, we talked about the tug of war <clears throat> that we believed would be what the economy was look in terms of the tug of war, meaning the, the tug of war of the parts of the economy that were recessionary or that or that were tracking that way versus the dearth in government spending, if you will, right? The orgy of government spending. 
Um, it does seem like that government spending is just swamping out the negative parts of the economy at this point. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's there's really no question that the the fis- the the fiscal and and financial condition side of the tug of war are dominating. Yeah, a hundred percent. And look to to like to better understand this at home, as frustrating it is because. It is frustrating, especially if you're if you're if you're a fundamentally minded person and you're looking for concrete things to invest in. You're watching all these asset price movements that really don't have much correlation at all to what's happening underneath the underneath the hood. And um, it is it is frustrating. But I think the analogy that you have to think of it is if you have a hole in your bathtub. okay, as long as the faucet is flowing faster than the water is leaking out of the hole. The, not only can you sustain the levels, they can continue to rise. So, look, I think there's water all over the bathroom floor. I just think the faucet's filling the thing faster. Not, not even to mention, is it maintaining the level? I think it's going so fast, you've actually got water coming off the top, too. This is a great uh, a flows analogy here. Yeah, so I just figured you'd That's like what's it. doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it goes back to my whole, like, the. I made a joke early on when we started the show about uh, look, if, if if you want to understand understand Fed thinking, it's like walking into a bathroom and going, "Holy smokes, that bathtub's got a hole in it. We got to patch up that bath. We got to patch up that hole." And the Fed goes, "No, no, no. You just need a higher flow faucet, right?" <laughs> and so I've just kind of expanded on that. But but it, but it, I do think it is kind of a, a a valid way to look at the way that they think, right? It's not about fixing anything, and it hasn't been for some time. Right, because the way you'd quote unquote fix things would be painful, and that's not what anybody's interested in doing. Nope. So, what else we got? Anything else coming up on the week? Or yeah, as far as the week goes, Wednesday, Wednesday is really not much, but uh, Thursday we'll have retail sales, jobless claims, um, home builder sentiment, and then Empire Manufacturing, so the New York area and the Philly Fed Manufacturing. That's kind of important to me because all the all the kind of aggregate macro data hard data has been really really good um the last couple of months all the regional stuff was awful so to see how these regionals start printing for the next month will be interesting and then friday we'll get housing starts and permits um, producer prices and the ever not that great data you met the university of michigan uh, consumer sentiment survey um and like i said before we got we got some pretty good earnings coming up the rest of the the week so that that not as big as you know the crazy mega tech, mega cap tech stuff, but there are some decent names coming up the rest of the week that will be that will be interesting to keep an eye on. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, the the other I, I I the thing I keep thinking about when I see these prints come in is it's just get it, 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 once again the 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 weird environment we're in it just doesn't lay off. Meaning, um you look at these prints coming in and the, the idea that the fed's going to cut into the face of that data. I, it's just fascinating to me. I, yeah, we, we did have um, Bowman today come out and basically say, look, if the data sticks right around where it is now, like we're not, we're not doing anything anytime soon. So they're, they're still kind of pushing back. And we, at the moment we have like about four and a half cuts priced. So <laughs> now that was at seven. So like it, it's moved a lot. But this market, but the is market really is opposite. not willing to take it down, and I, I still think my base case is we have to go back to two or three, and then something breaks, and we have to go all the way back to like the seven, eight, whatever. If and look, um, here's the other part I'll just say, and this gets back to what I was saying about I think you know inflation is understated. It, 
if their data is accurate, they can't cut four times. Uh, I mean, they can, but doesn't mean they should. So, I, but this is the this is the this is the just lunacy of where the Fed has boxed themselves in ideologically. Meaning, if you hike four or if you cut four times into the economic data, then everything you say is is BS. Well, I, I don't know about that because. So this gets into when we've we've had this conversation before of what they're the two things they're they're technically supposed to care about price stability it, inflation keep keep inflation around too and keep keep jobs decent right? right full employment if inflation is is low then there's just there's no point in them having rates higher but like like you and I have said like at some point you have to take ownership of keeping the cycle from being overheated but what i'm saying is that their own dogma and their own nonsensical models would tell you you don't cut when you're fully when you're getting these kind of economic metrics plus full employment ie 3.6% the fed would tell you that a cut is inflationary in that environment I, because they're going to because they're looking at the, the only they're using the real rate of interest and since since that has collapsed and you have you know a five and a half percent policy rate again that was to fight nine percent inflation not not two and a half percent and three percent inflation it, it you're wildly over tight now even within the fed some people are saying like well how could we be wildly over tight with all this economic data as hot as it is but, you know their fear and hey i would argue for the last year like this is the fear they should have is that that the long and variable lag comes in just, you know, violently attacks you in, in the alley whenever you least expect it because you left the real rate really, really positive for a long time whenever you, you had the opportunity to cut it before. Or how, about, or how about in a world of flows, liquidity means a lot more than rates. I mean, yeah, of course I agree there. But here's what I will say, though. But going back to the rate side of they shouldn't cut because the economy's hot. If they don't cut and then we have massive problems, everyone's going to the the critique they will get will be why in the world didn't you cut whenever inflation was already back down like you could have avoided this disaster by just cutting whenever inflation went back down oh i agree but th th this but th we are now we're perfectly articulating this th mantra that we've been saying for years which is this will end up with a fed with a gun to both sides of their head meaning they will be forced to cut and take on the risk of far accelerate, accelerating because th this is my whole thing the, like Something is off because the Fed, yeah. the Fed would tell you if we're running at four and a half percent growth and that number is legit and you're at three point six percent unemployment, the Fed in the past, the Fed would have said it doesn't matter where the policy rate is at that time. You cannot cut into that environment or it will be it'll be inflation. And so what, what, what we're discussing right now is the fact what we can boil this down to is that they still have the, the, the long run neutral rate at two point five percent. They have to come to grips with the fact that it really looks like that needs to move higher. Yeah. And and in March they have they'll do you know the next summary of economic projections. I don't know why in the world that would not move up to two how, two point seven five or something. And how long has two? The, the, here's the other craziness about that. They had the same poly, target policy rate back in 2011. Okay, look look at the imbalances. You can't even compare. How are you going to tell me that you think post-COVID without collapsing the economy that the target inflation rate doesn't need to go up? And and yeah, and remember they had Come on. They had growth in 2023 coming into 2023 at 0.5%. So it's not like growth just surprised you and I to the upside or everyone. It 
I mean, it, growth obliterated their projection. I, you know what it is? And I, I, again, this isn't going to surprise you because you've, you've been part of what's helped me realize this. I, I just think that the reason you're getting all this anomaly stuff is you've never had a Fed that was focused on pumping massive amounts of liquidity into the market at the same time they were jacking rates. Not, not to mention having a, a, a positive liquidity year while doing QT. Like how absurd is that? It's undoing it. Like we, right. And then they're sitting around going, boy, it's stronger than we think. And you're like, you did it. Yeah. It's like dropping off five half gallons of vodka to a high school party and coming back two hours later and being shocked. Everybody's loaded. Yeah. The amount of ex- excess liquidity and excess animal spirits that are moving things you would, you would think is something they would have a feel for and a plan for, and they have neither. It seems like. Yeah. And it, it's kind of surprised me because I would have thought they would have already started. I kind of didn't really believe it. I kind of thought that that whole two and a half percent thing was just something they were saying, looking at how they keep sticking to it. I think it's actually something they believe. And I find that hilarious. It's, it's wild. It's wild. And I, the fact that they haven't, you look at them and go, Hey guys, you like you need to at least start entering in the idea, like prepping the market for we might need to let it because I, I I don't I personally don't see a way around that. Meaning I and, and I will eat it if I'm wrong. I just I very much think the odds on favorite is for them to get to a point where they just have to come out and admit that. Because, yeah, I mean, if they cut rates to two and a half percent tomorrow, what would they, what would happen? Right. That's all. I, that's all I need to know about if that's the, the 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 natural rate of interest right now. Like, of course, it's it's not. If you cut to two and a half tomorrow, everything is a rocket ship. Everything. everything. Yeah. Housing prices probably pop 10, 15 percent. You, you would. You actually I've made fun of like the thought of going back to nine percent inflation a ton. If you cut to two and a half percent tomorrow, that it, yeah. you, you might get there. Yeah, you, you, you at least be on your way. You might be you might be getting there. And that's where you look. I, I just I. They, these then guys, you would want to own small caps. <laughs> you, you know what I think is abundantly clear? What I think is abundantly clear, and if you're paying attention, I think it's another tough one to refute. What I think is abundantly clear is I think that the Fed is every bit as confused as market participants, and I don't think they have a clue what they're doing. I, th- I think they've made that obvious in the last six months with the way they've kind of whipsawed around you know, their communications. Like, I, And I think that's one of the reasons we've seen the pricing of – of interest rates go kind of so volatile all of a sudden is because them and the market both don't know because they, I mean, they got re they got really dovish and now all of a sudden they're getting pretty hawkish again. Like, I guess here's a perfect summation of my point. I, I, I think I, I feel very strongly. This is the case. Um, I don't think it is impossible. I don't think it is possible in this world, the way it is currently constructed much, a large part of that being due to what the fed has done. I do not think it is possible for them to reach their objectives without running inflation significantly above two and a half percent. Yeah, I don't. I don't think much of anything's possible um, without that in the yeah. next in the next 10, 10, 20 years. It's just a necessity. It's absolutely a necessity, and I think it's unfortunate. That, but yeah, it is unfortunate, and that's the other funny thing. Listening to them, and you look at them, and you go, "Hey, guys, we all know the reality. Your only way out is inflation." You actually need a higher inflation rate. If you're not willing to deal with a natural default cycle and the cleansing that that applies, then you have to accept higher inflation. I don't see any way around that. Right. There's, there's, there's no two ways about it. And there are times where it is, it is just, and it's kind of why, you know, I like, I like the, the usage of the term natural rate of interest because 
there are times where it's naturally higher than others and naturally lower than others, depending on um, productive capacity and demographics and like all kinds of different inputs. Like sometimes you need four and sometimes you need one. Yeah. And sometimes it has to do with things that have nothing to do with what's going on in your economy internally. And that's another thing that blows my, like the Fed acts that they can just change the entire landscape of the global financial system purely by moving their rates up and down. And you're like, that's just, that's ridiculous. Right. It's just ridiculous on the face of it, which actually freaks you out because well, there's a lot of things that freak you out, but I, I just, you know, there's that whole idea that somebody's at the helm and I don't think, I don't think the people at the Fed are any worse than the people there 10 years ago. I'm not saying that, but I do think that they're more disconnected from the reality on the ground than they have been in some time. And maybe that's just a product of the general confusing environment that we're in. But um, yeah, man, I just don't, I, I just think it's hilarious. They keep sticking to that 2.5. You you just look at the world today. You look at the debt balances and you're like, guys, those numbers don't work. They not just don't. You just need a higher, you need a higher inflation. Yeah. Well, uh, to me, it's been clear for at least six years that we're heading towards high inflation and just call it two and a half percent to to four and and having to pin yields down to say, like, look, yeah. the, 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 the treasury treasury yields aren't going above blank, period. Yeah, like that you do that for a few years and you can actually resustain. You can get everything back to being sustainable. Yeah, because remember, guys, and this is the way to think about it, right? There's two ways to deal with debt. You either pay down the debt and you increase the equity, right? Like that's yep, a exactly. crude, crude way to put it, but they, but that's what – and So you can tax people or you can tax them through inflation. Yep, yep. And And the other thing is here's why it always goes that route. It's much easier to snow the people and talk about the positive aspects of an inflationary environment because there is no explanation for bread lines. Soup lines, right? They, there's no explanation for 10% unemployment. And nobody, nobody, nobody on what, you know, it's, it's sort of like why you see nobody on Washington, D.C., for the most part, except some fringe players. Nobody will ever stand against or, or spend any political capital fighting the Fed on things like hedonic adjustments, right? Like, it, meaning, and I'm not saying it's a cabal. I don't think it is a giant conspiracy. What I'm saying is, Nobody on Capitol Hill, nobody benefits from inflation being higher stated than reality, right? Nobody does, right? So they'll always, you know, they'll always talk it down, right? Um, yeah, man, it's 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 going to be fascinating because I just I feel us careening toward that moment where the Fed is going to be forced to say one or the other. Now we know where they will eventually end up, and people go, "How do you know that?" And you go, <clears throat> "You just referenced it, guys. If they were papering over every problem six years ago." They are obligated to paper over even more problems today because the excesses are so much larger, right? And this is why I've always said this will end in inflation because, you know, every activity they engaged in coming out of 0809 was to suspend this horrible thing from happening. Well, now the horrible thing will happen not because of some exogenous event. Now that horrible thing will happen if they uninvolve themselves from the economy, right? So for the same reasons, they're not going to do that, right? right. It's not going to do it. So anyway, um, all right. Well, that's about it on on the day. I guess uh, more tomorrow. Everything seems light data compared to the 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 week we just went through I'm, a couple weeks. That was back. two weeks ago, and I'm still tired. Yeah, still <laughs> tired. All right, folks. Well, uh, as always, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hopefully, you can keep keep taking this journey with us and see where it goes. Uh, hopefully, you guys are just as intrigued by it as we are. 
But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back again tomorrow. We'll see you then. As always, subscribe if you're listening to this. Helps us get more guests and all that kind of stuff. So until tomorrow, you're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.